Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. Let's face it, President Biden's poll numbers are pretty terrible. New surveys out just yesterday found him trailing Donald Trump in all the battleground states. And while some polls here and there tell a mixed story, many paint a bleak picture for Democrats. And yet, Democrats just keep winning special elections. A Democratic analysis found that in many special contests throughout 2023 for state legislative positions, Dems outperformed Biden's 2020 showing by an average of seven points. Democrats won lopsided victories on a pro-choice ballot measure in Red Ohio and in a state Supreme Court race in deeply divided Wisconsin. How to explain this disconnect? Well, this is why serious political pros are closely watching a special election for a state house seat in the Philadelphia suburbs set for February 13th. So today we're talking to Jim Prokopiak, the Democratic candidate for that seat, about what he's seeing on the ground and what it says about 2024. Welcome, Jim. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the district you're competing in. It's it's in the north. Philly suburbs, Bucks County, that's classic suburban swing territory. In your district, uh, Biden won 53% in 2020. Isn't this the sort of area where Biden will either win or lose to Trump? Can oh, you talk absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this, uh, you know, my district is settled, uh, centered around Levittown, Pennsylvania, one of the first suburbs here in the country. Uh, you know, really uh, a blue collar, working class, pro labor. Uh, area of the collar counties of Pennsylvania around Philadelphia. Um, and it's really the type of voter that Biden needs to win in order to 
carry Pennsylvania and carry the state. As you know, Bucks County is probably the swingiest county in the swingiest state in the country. And so as Bucks County goes, so goes Pennsylvania. And I always like to say, you know, if, if we're winning in the lower end of, of Bucks County, which is more working class, uh, we're, we're going to be doing well on Election Day. Before we get to the national stuff, let me ask you about your race a little bit. <clears throat> this race will decide control of the Pennsylvania State House, which alone makes it a huge contest. What's really at stake here? If Democrats win, what will change? Well, for the last year, Democrats in the State House have been pushing a pro working class, pro family agenda, protecting women's reproductive rights, doing the things that Democrats want government to do, be doing and protecting. And, you know, this is, there is no filibuster in the state house. It's pure majority rules. And a one seat majority means that you can push forward an agenda that government Shapiro can sign. You know, we've seen from way too many year, uh, years here in Pennsylvania what happens when the D Republicans have control of both state houses and we have the governor. It's a governor that's playing defense and trying to protect what we already have. We need to do more than that. And the only way we do that is by keeping the state house. I want to ask you about what you're seeing on the ground. Uh, your your GOP opponent, Candace Cabanas, isn't really cut from the MAGA mold, but she is downplaying the abortion issue while you support a constitutional amendment enshrining reproductive rights. The Dobbs decision drove Democratic victories in 2022, but are you still seeing it energize voters, particularly sort of the sort of right-leaning voters who can be persuaded to vote for Democrats under certain conditions? I think we are seeing sort of, first, I would say that I would characterize that my opponent is a MAGA person. She's trying to paint herself as a non-MAGA person, but she, from 2017, when she was still leading Lancaster County, moved here, was a full-on Trump supporter, full-on MAGA supporter. Uh, she's just trying to soften that to try to appeal to Democratic voters. I don't think it's going to work. But, um, you know, we've sort of seen it here in, in Bucks County and in all across the country, frankly. Um, she was part of the, her husband actually ran for Pensbury School Board on a pro-parental right MAGA agenda, extremists in the schools. Um, you know, the apple doesn't far fall from the tree. And she was part of that process and part of that election and part of that group that was trying to really change education here in Pennsylvania in Bucks County. So what she's putting out there is a lot of platitudes, not a lot of um, specifics. And her record shows something different. And, you know, what? in 2021, they were very successful here in Bucks County in winning on that parental rights MAGA agenda. Well, we've seen a repudiation of that in 2023 with the election of Bob Harvey and Diane Marseglia and, and all across the country as well, where even Republican areas like Penridge and Central Bucks switch from Republican to Democrat in the school board races. Well, I want to talk to you about that because it's, it's, a, it's a big national story that's gone, I think, largely undercovered. The degree to which the, the quote-unquote parents' rights, anti-woke, anti-CRT, anti-LGBTQ agenda has really begun backfiring on the right it's true that in 2021, it, it, it seemed to be on the offensive in a major way. We saw Glenn Youngkin win in Virginia, for instance. But then in 23, in Virginia, Youngkin and a lot of candidates following his kind of brand of anti-woke politics 
lost. And, and so you really saw a swing in the other direction. Let's talk about this, this district. It's, it, this is classic suburban swing county. Uh, uh, this is a, 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 a place where you would think that that type of right-wing politics that worked in 21 could continue working. We're really talking serious swing voters here. It's not, a, it's not an overwhelmingly democratic place. But you're you're a school board member yourself. Are you seeing a backlash at this point to that type of politics? And and is there a way for candidates like you to be really kind of forcefully, uh, proactively socially liberal in the face of that type of anti woke politics instead of running away from it? Well, I think I think there has been a backlash. Uh, you know, not just in my area. You know, I won re-election in November to. Uh, uh, to the school board, um, you know, Democrats in Bucks County, all I mean, all across the county, and Republican areas and Democratic areas had very good success pushing against that 2021 extremist agenda. Um, so I think it's something that, and part of that I believe is that people saw actually what education becomes when you hand over the keys to people who are talking about the things that they're talking about, their extremist agenda, and it. Turned out it wasn't very successful, and it cost taxpayers money. It cost, uh, you know, it led to lawsuits. It led to um, a lot of teachers leaving and going to other districts. The disruption to the education system here in Bucks County and in other places was really severe, and I think we saw a real pushback against that by those suburban voters who said, "You know what? We want good education. We want to ensure that our schools are the best, so that we're succeeding." And they realized that that agenda that they had pushed, that they had elected to these people in 2021, was the wrong direction for their schools. Yeah, it really does seem to me that the that the worm has turned almost entirely on on that national story. I, I want to go back to what you said about your opponent essentially trying to cloak her her MAGA inclinations. It's still unclear that there's 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 a sort of a, a disconnect for me about Pennsylvania, right? Governor Josh Shapiro won a blowout against Doug Mastriano, right? Uh, Mastriano was a true MAGA extremist involved in January 6th, the Christian nationalist and so forth, an insurrectionist. And yet it just doesn't seem like you get the right-leaning voters who are repelled by Mastriano in such large numbers they they don't seem repelled by Trump himself, at least not as visibly. And yet there's plenty of material there to, to, to make the case, same case against Trump that you make against someone like Mastriano. What what's the problem there? Why why is Trump why does Trump seem to sort of dodge the the pitfalls that the more visibly MAGA candidates like Mastriano get kind of draw sock sucked into? I I think really what it comes down to is the people were drawn to Trump based on the personality and the bluster and the myth of the Trump business person. And that's not dupl- that's not easily duplicated for all these other candidates that are just as extreme on their politics, but they don't have that personal connection they try real hard. I mean, we've seen it with DeSantis in Florida. We've seen it with Mascariano. We see it all across the board. Same policies, but they don't have that, I guess, personal 
connection that some of these voters feel to Donald Trump. And yeah, so, I mean, he's really charismatic. I think there's no question about that. There's there's an extraordinary, in his own twisted way, he's extraordinarily charismatic and talented as a politician. And you really see that in the disconnect in the disconnect between someone like him and all the mega mini me types like Mastriano, who just who just implodes spectacularly. Yeah, when you when you strip away sort of that charisma, I guess, and you're looking just at the policies, people get turned off by that. And when you see, you know, Mastriano, you know, people were turned off by it. I had voters coming to me saying, you know, it wasn't necessary. You know, some of them weren't loving Governor Shapiro, but they knew how dangerous Mastriano was and they voted against that person. And it was because they saw what he was willing to do. Yeah. I would like to try to understand how voters in, in a swing district like yours are really processing Trump right now. We're, we're in this sort of state of suspended animation, right? A lot of voters don't appear to believe Trump is really going to be the GOP nominee, yet many seem prepared to reject him if he's convicted of a crime. Do you sense that swing voters like those in your district are aware of the extraordinary charges Trump is facing? That he's openly vowing to do things like prosecute his political opponents and persecute quote unquote vermin Democrats on a large scale if elected again. I, I sometimes feel as if Democrats aren't doing enough to really drive home Trump's malignancy and likely criminality to 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 voters who just aren't really paying close attention. What are you seeing out there? It really depends. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we live in a polarized society, and Bucks County is no different. The 140th is no district different. You know, um, when I knock on a split household and I talk to the Republican in the household, I'm getting a completely different worldview sometimes than from the Democrat living in the same household. So, um, and you know, and a lot of times those people are getting their information from different sources, and that contributes to sort of the disconnect, if you will. Um, when I'm talking to Democrats, may, many of them are fired up and understand how important the, this election is and this year is, you know, not just the special election, but also the presidential election. Um, and it runs the gamut, you know. Um, so it really depends on who we're talking about. Well, what about the swing voters? So you're, you, there, there are a lot of blue-collar swing voters. I would think a fair amount of educated suburbanites as well. These are people who would, who, who were ran screaming from someone like Mastriano, but probably voted in reasonable percentages of them voted for Trump in twenty, maybe not exactly majorities because it's Pennsylvania, but something close to it. Um, how do those voters process Trump right now? Are they aware of all those criminal charges, all the craziness and the malignancy? Does more have to be done to get this into voters' heads that he, this is the guy, again, who they're going to have to decide whether they want him to be president of the United States? I would say that to a certain extent, their perception is already baked into a certain amount. And so the people, and I've had people who in previous elections have actually come up Democrats who have said, you know what, lay off the Trump stuff. We already have our opinion on Trump. You're not changing us. Tell us what you're going to do. And so I think to a certain extent, 
some of that's baked in and we can say all we want about what's going on. And for certain, especially more blue collar people, they already have their opinion. What's going to change their minds is more of the issues and who's going to better fight for them on those issues. And so I don't necessarily know if, especially for the, for the more blue collar working class people in Bucks County, I think we have to do a better job of telling them what we're going to do that's going to make their lives easier than just relying on telling them about the the you know the court system cases that Donald Trump is facing. I think for some of the other for those who are more educated, I think that they're more willing to look into that, but a lot of it is is you know we have both President Biden and, and Donald Trump have been around a while. A lot of people have their opinions already. Yeah, well, look, it, let's talk policy then. So I think a lot of there's a certain type of Democratic strategist who says what you say, which is that really Trump's awfulness is baked in for people. They don't need to hear it anymore. I happen to think that a lot of this stuff is new information. I mean, we're talking about new criminal charges, right? And new information about those charges. But so let's just say for now that 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 um, that policy really is is the way to get to some of these voters. We have a kind of test case here in Governor Josh Shapiro, right? Uh, he just um, rolled out a comprehensive new e- economic plan that seeks to stimulate the agriculture and manufacturing sectors, among other things. Do you get a sense of whether this sort of thing is appealing to the blue-collar white voters that have deserted Democrats in recent years? Is Can you really get those voters back with economic policy? I believe you can. And I believe that's what we've been talking about here in the 140th district. The simple fact is, is that for many of my neighbors and constituents, the most thing that drives them is making sure they have a roof over their head, the ability to pay their bills, and a quality education for their kids, and a pathway for retirement. Those are the things that really drive them. You know, those are the things that made them Democrats in the first place, is that Democrats were fighting for the for the working class person. Um, the thing that sort of makes them drift away is sort of the social issues that, you know, often becomes preeminent in these races. You know, but when we talk about what we're doing, what we can do to make their lives better. That's what, what's resonating with the voters that I talk to is that it's really about how can we af- make our lives better? The people that live here, you know, so many people here, you know, I live in Levittown, which is the, you know, where, where steel workers from the Fairless Works could buy houses for a hundred, for $99 down and $99 a month. Many of those same people who are now either on fixed income or their kids have moved, are living here, are saying, where do my kids live? Because the cost of, because wages haven't kept, kept up with the cost of housing and, and all, all the things that they need. That's really what they're talking about in November when they were going to the polls, when I'm knocking on doors. That's really what they're concerned about because people want to take care of their families first before they think about all the other things that happen in society. But can can Democrats win those voters back is the, I is the big can. question. I believe we can because I've been fairly successful in talking to people about those issues. And it resonates with the voters that I've been speaking to. I, I really think that that's the most important thing is that, when, you know, 
the perception is, and I don't believe this is reality, but the perception has always been the Democratic Party recently has been more concerned about the social issues and not really concerned with the well-being of the working class worker. And um, I completely disagree with that. It's why I support all the labor unions and all the unions who have supported me, because I believe that that right, the right to organize, really helps create a working class and a livable wage. You know, but we're in Pennsylvania where we, you know, we we don't have a state minimum wage floor. You know, we, we still have the federal minimum wage. Every other state around us has a higher minimum wage. Ohio, Republican run, has a higher minimum wage. West Virginia, Amazing. higher minimum wage. Again, so we need to do a better job of fighting for those types of things because the people, because honestly, if you don't have money in your pocket and you can't pay your bills, you're angry. And, you know, and, and that's, I think we need to do a better job of really fighting and getting wins on those types of things. Well, let me ask you this, though, if I could, Jim, uh, final question. So if all that's the case, if, if, these, if, if these working class voters can be won back with economic policy, um, then let's talk about what's happening with President Biden. I mean, he, to, to a greater degree than any president in recent memory, is investing in, the, in re, reinvigorating the, the United States manufacturing base, He's really uh, worked very hard to, to, to stimulate the creation of manufacturing jobs in the very sort of places that were left behind by the economic changes of the last few decades, the changes and, and the disorientation that Trump exploited so skillfully. And yet he's so unpopular and his, his, he's unpopular on the economy and losing to Trump on the economy in some polls by double digits. How do we square this? I mean, if he's doing all the things that we think that those voters want, and yet it doesn't seem to resonate in any sort of approval for Biden, what's the problem there? Well, I think I, I can tell you in my district, I think that part of the problem is, is that while those, the Biden initiatives take time, and so yeah. it hasn't filtered down to the people in my district yet. The recovery hasn't hit them yet. And so I, I think that's why we see such low poll numbers in terms of that, because people haven't felt it. And as we see them feeling more of the recovery here, because you know, manufacturing investment takes time. These two things take time. And, you know, in a year or two, I think we'll be in a much better position to really see those effects and see the poll numbers rebound. Because you know, we're still feeling the effects of the post-COVID effects of supply chain, inflation, and and uh, and wages not keeping up at the same rate as, as the costs were going up. It takes time to change those things, and we're really in a point where we haven't seen it here. You know, I think in other sectors of Philadelphia area, you've seen that recovery, but you haven't seen it yet here to the extent where it's going to move the numbers. Okay, well, I hope you're right. Uh, Jim Prokopiak, thanks so much for coming on. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network. 